Talking to my uncle, Reggie Norton, has been a real treat. Uh, you're going to love his talk. Such an interesting man. He's done so many things. I could have spent another couple of hours talking to him. I hope you enjoyed the talk. Uh, this is what he had to say. Okay, so we're going to start now. I'm here with my uncle, Reggie Norton, uh, which is rather nice. So I'm doing something a little different, something we've never done before. So uh, it's quite nice to have Reggie here on holiday, and um, we've been spending ni a nice few days together. Reggie, um, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> There's a few things that I wanted to talk to you about, but first of all... Uh, I'm just going to go through all the things you've done in your life. Uh, thanks to Tommy for helping me with this, actually. Uh, so you were a child of AQE. You were an Oxford University graduate in law, a former town clerk of the Gibraltar City Council, an Oxfam field director for Latin America and the Caribbean, a policy analyst at the Washington office on Latin America, former chairman of Anti-Slavery International, a founder of the Artists on Guatemala, and you are a climate change campaigner, which I think is what a lot of people nowadays know you as. They probably uh, do know all your some of your other uh, accomplishments, but uh, recently you've been uh, in the news uh, campaigning uh, passionately about this cause, which we're going to talk a little bit about. The other thing I wanted to say is that you're a father of two, a grandfather of five, and a husband of 41 years. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so That's right. what is, of all those things, what is the one of the most or one of the most important things? What, what, what do you, what gives you more joy? Well, obviously, um, having my children to start with and then my grandchildren and marrying, in fact, you know, I was a late marrier. I married at 46. Yes. Your, your mother had already <laughs> given me up. She said I wasn't going to marry. And that the same practically... Within a month of her telling me that, I was engaged. Amazing. And I was engaged. So I married late, but yeah. I've had a wonderful marriage. And uh, considering we've been married 41 years, and I'm still alive, <laughs> I'm still around because I'm nearly... <laughs> 19 years older than, than my wife. Yeah, but so, it's been, but it's been a, very, a very good marriage, a very it's solid been, marriage. It's been a very good marriage, yeah. yes, thank God. Yeah. yeah, and you met in a very uh, crazy way, a little bit. You were working for Oxfam in Central America. Yes, I was, I was working for um, Central America, Mexico and the Caribbean, I covered, for, as, as, a, as a person out there living there in Guatemala, which is, in fact, where I met my wife because she came there for, to do something else, which was rather extraordinary, actually. What was, what was she doing there? Well, she went there to help out with the um, textile museum because she comes from a famous textiles family. Okay. And, um, but then she discovered that really the, the, the Guatemalan women were more, more interested just in having the textiles and not enough interested in the welfare of the indigenous people you know, who are very poor and, and, mm. and need help and all the rest of it. So she gave that up and she started teaching there. And um, and then we met and then uh, we married. Good. So I want to take you back, right back, um, to when you were a child of AQE with my mother. Yes. And you went to Madeira with your mother because your father was stay, was here in Gibraltar. He was had a, an but important we, job. But we remember that we'd be on to, we went to Rabat first. Oh, right. Okay, I, that's what I wanted to ask you. So you yes. went to Rabat first. We went to Rabat first. And I can tell you, well, I can tell you some, all I remember about Rabat. I, I don't remember going there. But and the only thing I remember is coming back because um, we, we went there and uh, 
what happened was that in, when the French government fell and the Vichy people came in, we had to leave quickly and come back to Gibraltar. And then that was when we then went off to Madeira. But, so you, you went to Madeira from Rabat? Well, yes, but what happened, no, what happened first to Gibraltar. Okay. But what happened was that we were put on a train. And what I remember was that as we went along, the there were goods carriages of a train on another line with a lot of despondent French soldiers. Okay. A lot of French soldiers who obviously were on the wrong side of the French government and were being probably sent back to France or something. Wow. And I have this memory of these people like that, slumped, you know, obviously very unhappy and all the rest. So that's my only wow. memory of, the, of my time in Rabat. Amazing. <laughs> quite a memory. No. From then... Madeira. Madeira. Yes. Well, that was quite, a, quite a, an extraordinary time that you time. had there yeah. from the sounds of it. I mean, I hear my mother talking about it endlessly. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were in a nice hotel. Well, I don't you? know whether, yes, I don't know you why. Were, well, she'll know because we're going to talk to her. I can't remember well. any of that. I right. thought you so were what do you flat. remember about Madeira? No, what I remember about Madeira, I'll tell you the thing about Madeira. I remember, uh, first of all, two, um, two um, physical things. We had a, a, an earthquake, yeah. a very minor earthquake, And I remember because I was walking, because we lived on the, on an, in, a, in an annex, an annex to the hotel, which was joined by a concrete path. And I was walking upon that concrete path when the earthquake struck. Oh! And as the earthquake struck and the ground moved under me, I thought to myself, there must be a submarine under here. <laughs> I remember that thought, wow. you know. And then... Because how old were you? I was uh, then about eight, I suppose. Mm. Um, seven or eight, seven or eight. And uh, and the other thing was that we had a storm, like a sort of minor hurricane, and um, blew in in the night. And um, part of the ceiling in when the, in the in, we weren't in bed at the time actually, but part of the ceiling in the bedroom of um, of my mother, you know, dropped down onto the thing. We had seen, so we had those two things. The other thing I remember is how I nearly killed myself, <laughs> and I've done this, the same thing. I thought I did the same thing again. I um, I played with Portuguese children who were there actually, and all the rest. I learned how to speak Portuguese, and you know they have these in in, in Madeira. They have these sort of sleds with steel um, steel bottoms, you know, like right like that, and you grease them up. Mm. You put fat grease them up, and then on the cobbles they go incredibly like... fast. Now we were in a hotel. Um, the Mirama, I think it was called, the, in a hotel that uh, had a big building on one side, the annex on the other, and then in between there was a hill going down, joining the main road. So one day I got onto I got onto my sled, and um, I decided to go down that hill. Well, oh, I couldn't I couldn't stop. So as I came as I came down the hill, I went straight across the street. Oh my god. I got straight across well, the street. There were no cars. Luckily, luckily there were no cars and I was lucky. I don't think I ever told my mother. Anyway, yes. so so from Madeira, um what we, happened what happened for, then? No, we had a rather an interesting thing happened there. When my what my father's plan was to come get us near Gibraltar in in steps, you know, little little by little, you know, if he could possibly do that. So at, um, when he thought that we could get come back to Lisbon, he decided that to do it. And in fact, it was not only us. One of the people that came with us was Victoria Macintosh. Mm. 
You know, oh, yes. It was Lady McIntosh, yes. We loved her. She was such a lovely person. At any rate, we, we, we were in the Carvalho Araújo. The ship was called the Carvalho, Carvalho Araújo. So we got on the Carvalho Araújo, and we were going to go to Lisbon. And we, when we were about a days and a half distance from Lisbon, we were stopped by a British destroyer. I don't know whether it was a frigate or a destroyer. They stopped us because they accused us of carrying contraband, oh. stuff that they didn't think they <laughs> should be carrying to Lisbon. So they came on board, and what I remember, I remember this distinctly too, when I was on board, I was looking at you, as you can imagine, I was very interested in what was going on. Mm. The, 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 the small boat came from the destroyer and landed these people onto our boat. They went straight into the wireless room to control it. Oh. To control the radio. You, so, you saw all so this that, going I on. saw all that oh. happen. And then they brought us to Gibraltar. Gosh. We came to Gibraltar. There in detached in, mode. In, in the detached mode. Yeah. And, um, and then he examined the boat. Uncle Charlie, Uncle Uncle Ernest came on board because he was here at the time. He was in the Navy. He was in RNBR. And uh, I'm not sure whether Uncle Charlie came. But at any rate, it was very exciting for us. But at the same time, Rather disappointing because we couldn't come abroad. We saw Gibraltar. We wanted to be back in Gibraltar. And you couldn't, you couldn't get we off couldn't the ship. Be. Now, a very interesting thing, well, the rather extraordinary thing was happening at, at this time, which really was uh, incredible. My father, who had spent the war, you know, as the political secretary to the governors, he kept the, the ambassador in Madrid and the ambassador in Lisbon, Informed. personally informed of what was going on mm. and carried documents like that, you know. He had the sort of royal... So he thing. had a very important job. He had an important job. He had a car, a French a French Ford, and where the Royal Engineers put a tank in the, in the back of it so he was able to go to Madrid and back without having to have any petrol. Wow. Well, he decided to come to meet us in Lisbon. When he, was, when he arrived in Lisbon, he got told the news that... Um, the, um, the 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 ship had been diverted to Gibraltar, so he got into his car again and, and drove to, all the way back to Gibraltar. As he was arriving to Gibraltar, we were leaving. No. So he turned the car around and he went back to Lisbon. No. So he did Gibraltar, <sighs> Lisbon, Lisbon, Gibraltar, oh my Gibraltar, gosh. Lisbon, practically what a story. practically without stopping. My goodness! And did he get to see you? And he got to see ah. us, and practically without stopping. So there That's we cool, were. Yeah. We went there. It was quite interesting because. We were put, he put us at that time in the, what was called the best hotel in the world, the okay. Aviz, the Aviz Hotel. Where, in, in Lisbon? In Lisbon, you know. And um, in this wonderful old hotel with a wonderful lift where you got on and you did this, and I was allowed by the, the guy who did the lift to take it up and down and all the rest of it. And uh, uh, staying there on a permanent basis was this famous guy, uh, Gulbenkian. Who? Gul Gulbenkian. Gulbenkian. He was known as Mr. 5%. <laughs> he was a very, very, he was an Armenian mm -hmm. and a very, very rich man, and he owned 5% of? Of, of shares in an oil company okay. or various oil companies that made him very, very rich in case. And in fact, there's a thing called the Gulbenkian Foundation, you know, and all the rest of it. And he used to sit, we used to sit at the table next door to us. And my sister says that he would, uh, he always greeted us, you know, once said or waved or something. 
and he'd put sweets under our serviettes <laughs> so when we sat down in the thing. And the other, I have two uh, other rather bad memories of it. I had a, a memory of, of um, something that happened and where I was uh, an, an unfortunate witness partly at a distance, and that is that in the avenue near the hotel, uh, a woman fell off a tram and the tram went over her leg. And you saw was, that as a little child? I saw that. Impact, well, I was I mean, eight or whatever it was. Impacting but anyway. As a, but it had a... Mm. Then, I, then I had bad dreams that, that we had we had bath. We had bathrooms in this hotel where you had steps going into the bath. And I had this constant dream for a few weeks or months of but, my mother falling into the bath. Oh, dear. You know. Yes. So we went into this flat um, where... We there were rooms for all of us. And how and how long were you there? I don't I don't quite know how many months we were there. To tell you the truth, okay. but anyway, we were there. And then one day, in the morning, you know, we were we were there in rooms and all the rest of it. Auntie the light had gone across. I don't know whether she had. She might have had a room separately for herself, but between her room and uh, our room, just sort of two yards away there was about 20 steps going down to some place. Anyway, we heard the screaming, and until the light had fallen down the steps, my sister locked herself in the loo <laughs> when that Why? occurred. My mother Why? Didn't she know, didn't want to know what was happening. My mother didn't know what to do, oh. and I went down. Oh, Reggie. I went down, and I got onto the light. And how was she? And I bought that. She had a huge lump oh, on her head, you know, like the size yes. of half an apple. But oh, she, she was all right otherwise, so we caught the, called the doctor, Yes. I remember this. And the doctor came round and he said, well, we take her, better take her to the hospital. But I remember one thing he did. He bandaged her head, you know, so that by the time we got to the hospital, the bump had gone down. At any rate, Tom Cleolaida, who was really a, very, had, had a bit, she, we didn't know it at the a time, but heart. she had a heart, weak heart, mm. you know, survived it and all the rest of it. Hi, it's Hicks Algarda from Fitness TMB. We work with men and women over 40 to get fit, lose fat, get energised and develop a powerful mindset. You can accomplish this by implementing significant changes in your habits and routines, such as optimising nutrition and mastering your sleep. I have created for the over 40s the RRE method, recondition, recharge and energise. It's a 13-week program that will enable you to find gratification in your fitness journey, as well as positively shifting your mindset and well-being. You can get in touch at heck at fitnesstmb.com or visit fitnesstmb.com. We're back with Reggie and he's going to be talking about his life, his work, meeting Rosa Parks and his campaign to stop climate change. So as I um, mentioned before, I'm here with my uncle Reggie Norton and it's absolutely lovely to hear all the stories he's been uh, telling me, things I didn't know, things I have heard before and things I didn't know. So really good to catch up with um, when he was a, an evacuee and travelling around Portugal um, during the war. But we're going to move it up a little bit, Reggie. You eventually came back to Gibraltar uh, when the war was over. And then, and then, well, you went off to England to, to school at a very young age. How, what was that like, being sent off to school? How old were you, about well, that eight? That was in the middle of the war. 
Yeah, you were... It was sent off in the middle of the war. Gosh. In 1943. That must have been very hard as a young boy to suddenly, well, you know, you know leave your exciting. family and go off. It was yep. exciting in a way. I didn't... I mean, I had... Put it this way, I was homesick for about two weeks. Yeah, and then... You know, but then I recovered got and, I was, and I was fine after that, And so yeah. eventually, after your schooling and you graduated with a degree in law, you came back to Gibraltar to work here as a lawyer. That's right, yes. So where did you... What happened then? Well, I was... Let me tell you first about why I did law. I, didn't, I did law because when it, when it came to the question of what I was to do at universities, I didn't have any idea of what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't I had no idea what I wanted to do. So my father rather wisely said, look, why don't you study law, become a lawyer, and because whatever you decide to do eventually, uh, you will... Uh, the, the having a being a lawyer and having a degree in law will always be very useful to you. You know, it will enable you to get other jobs. So, um, well, with, probably with, right. With, with, but not, with, but not a subject you want particularly. No, but he was to absolutely do. right. But what I, mm -hmm. but the law was a was a, I mean easy easy to to do in a sense. You know, except for the land law, which was a rather but difficult. Nightmare. But but um, the law was easy to do because it was a question really of reading the books and and just studying a subject just like any other subject. Yeah. You know, so I did that, and then I came back here. So then Castaneda, my cousin, very kindly took me in, into his chambers, didn't charge me anything, and said, look, you can stay in the other room, you know, and see what happened. I, I found that really I was getting very, very few cases. Most of the cases were people asking me to appear in court for something, minor things. Um, then one, one, one evening or one day, guy said to me, you know, the um, assistant town clerk, there's an advert for that which hasn't been published because John Mayling is going to have to retire soon, you know. So um, I went to the, to the mayor, Sir Joshua, and I said, look, why don't you publish that, uh, that uh, advert so, because I'm interested in, in applying. So he said, yes, we'll do that straight away. So they did that straight away. There was only two people um, who applied. Who applied. Me and Joshua Gabay. Hi. Joshua Gabay had done a, a, um, a special course in administration, you know, just in, in order to be able to apply, I think. Gosh, sure. such a lovely man. Well, no, such a nice man. But unfortunately, but I think fortunately for him, actually, because in the end he had more interesting, a more interesting life and all the rest of it, um, he wasn't a lawyer. And, and I, because I was a lawyer, and really you needed a lawyer because... The yeah. town clerk is the guy who directs the whole council on the question of the law and is the advisor to the to the council. And I could do one thing which John Mayling couldn't do, which was because I was a lawyer, I could appear in, in the court for public health cases. Yeah, so your law which degree he was, couldn't do. was so I got, very uh, important there. So I was, I was appointed uh, town, town clerk. clerk. And uh, what were your best memories of that? I mean, we've just been to an exhibition this morning where, yeah. where the Honourable Joe Garcia has presented you with a, with a lovely um, framed picture of you and Sir Joshua yeah. um, commemorating your, your nine years at the, at the Gibraltar City Council, yeah. which was quite special to be at. I'm glad I took the day off work to be yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and that Mum and Emily could also enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, really quite special. So yeah. how, how do you feel about that? The exhibition is, is no, fantastic. I thought, I thought that was very nice of them because, you know, they were recognising the job work I'd done 
there, so you know, which was very nice of them. You know, they didn't have to do no, that. They didn't no. have to do and, that. And, and when I listened to, to when 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 um, Joe Garcia was speaking to you, uh, you said I've been I've been given other awards and I've turned them all down. But when something like this from the people of Gibraltar, the government of Gibraltar is very very special to me. So I I, I accept it very very graciously. Yes. And I and I thought to myself, what what a, what a great thing to say, really. Yes. I yes. didn't know you'd been given other awards. Well, I haven't I haven't been given, but at one. At one point, when I was um, leaving Anti-Slavery International, they 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 said, "Would you be, would you be interested in being sort of nominated for an MBE or an MBE?" And I said, "No, I wasn't interested." You turned it really. down. I turned it down. Mm. So I mean, um, the, the, as I told him, uh, for the modest things I did to be recognised by the people who yeah, very having done something yeah. really means something Absolutely. to me. Otherwise, the other thing wouldn't have done. Do you feel you did quite a lot in those years while you worked for the government or, to help Gibraltar? Well, what I what in you mean when I was here still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I was here still, as, they, as town clerk. Yes. Uh, what, not, what, not, what, not what did as, you do to to you know benefit Gibraltar? That, well, uh, that maybe is still. I, I can tell you that going back before I was town clerk, all the rest of it, because really there were three things um, uh, that I did. One is that I wrote. An open letter to Franco in the Gibraltar Post, which really people loved because it completely amazing. It, Did, it said more or less what they felt like, and, and, and everyone loved it. it. Was the headlines? Wow! In the, the thing that comes like that. Did you get a reply? What? Did you get a well, reply? Well, that, then we were made PNGs. You know, I, I was made a, a persona non grata yeah. because of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Because they didn't like it. I'm sure. You know, and uh, so so, <laughs> and other people so they didn't like it, but the people of Gibraltar liked it. You know. And I remember Sol Saruya, I met him in the casino the day after the thing was published and he said, oh, I wish I'd thought of that myself. <laughs> well done, well done, you know. <laughs> any rate, that was one thing. Then, um, during, um, during the times when things were really difficult, I wrote to all the only MPs, you know, and I asked for support. Help. For support for Gibraltar and, did they and all the rest, and, of it. Did they get... and that's part of the things I want to give to the archives. Wow! It was like all of them, all of them answered. Did they? All of them answered. What? Yes. And Anyone the, in particular? That is, well, the, the, the... So, Nigel Fisher, you know, was the only one who gave me a really good answer. He said, "This should be solved when really Spain tries to get into Europe," and of course he was right. For 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 that time, it did, hmm. you know, because then they needed our help. To get into Europe and all the rest of it, I wrote to them. I wrote to a letter to the Chronicle, you know, saying basically Gibraltar should belong to the Gibraltarians, and it was the headlines on the front page of the Chronicle. Well, they said, send me a picture. The only picture I had was me sitting in a boat in the middle of the bay. And at the <laughs> bottom of the thing is one of the stupid photographs of me sitting in a boat in the middle of the bay. And that's the only photo that they had. The, well, well you... I didn't have any other photos. Oh, so you so sent I, them that's that. All, and that's, that's what came out with the headline. That's what they came out with the headline. Okay. So that was... Um, now, the editor at the time, the um, name will come back afterward, said that that was the first time anyone had said that publicly and had the thing like that. And actually that then became... Um, I, I've got some of the, the, the... I think it was 19, either 1965 or 1967. I have um, copies of actually other ones because what happened then was that there was a lot of, you know, remnant people started writing in, and also it got it got um, 
recorded in the Times in London, and um, articles came out in London about it and all the rest of it. Wow. So I am proud of the fact that I was the first person to say that. So Reggie, well, let, let's move on a little bit because we haven't got that much time. Yeah. Uh, after after your stint in Gibraltar, you 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 decided that you wanted to go. You got why well, did decided, you end up going to? Well, I would because I decided that Guatemala. really I didn't want to stay here right. any longer. I decided that I wanted to join Oxfam right. because I already knew about Oxfam. Yeah. Because when we'd raise money here for yes. Oxfam, I'd yes. been in touch with them, and they were very interested in me yes. for the simple reason that they wanted to send the person who was a Latin America secretary in Oxford, they wanted to send him to Mexico to cover Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. And uh, they needed to replace him by someone who knew Spanish and Portuguese, because we also covered oh, okay, Brazil and all the rest of it. So, so that you was, were the perfect person so for the job. I was the perfect because I learned uh, Portuguese. And of all your years living, how, how many years were you there? In, with Oxford? Yeah. Just under 10 years. Always living in Central America? No, 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 I didn't. Because what happened was that this guy went off okay. to do that. So I took his place. Okay, in, in Oxford? In Oxford. Right. Then four years later... Oh, four years later. Four years later, I went, went to, off. I went to do that. And what, what is the best thing about it? The best thing about well, being Well, the best there. thing about it is really... The help... The, the, the best thing about helped. it is, is this. The most amazing... And this is, is this, and that is that... Uh, and this is uh, something I've said before, you know, that is that in all the jobs I've done and all the rest of it, I've had a lot of people helping me the whole time. And if I've, I've been able to achieve anything, it's only been because of the fact that I've had such good people around me. But as a, as a field director, there's an extra thing too, and that is you get to meet the ordinary people in these countries. And what really is, is uh, what I say, you know, is that, I got more out of it than I gave, because the poor of this world are, the know, ones who... are very dignified, they're very hardworking, they're very resilient, they're very faithful to their religion. You know, that when the earthquake of 76 in Guatemala, when the main church in a town that we were very familiar with broke down, they immediately bought created a little church outside so that people could still be on pray. hearing mass and all the rest of it. And therefore I said that what I what I what I became was like the Pope wants us to be. He said you must be evangelized by the poor. The poor are the people who really evangelize me. So I really feel that the whole that, that really, you've done that. That 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 is, you know, That's that, what... that is the the really most important thing. That you've thing been evangelized by the poor. By the poor. But you all your life you've 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 helped other people. I mean, from moving on from there, you moved to Washington, DC, where you yes, had well, your children, you and then and then there you also worked on, on human rights, not policy. Yes, what we were doing in there was very interesting because instead of dealing with the people, we dealt with the policies. Yeah, but so that, we a bit to, different. What was that? What? But were, were you able to change policy and were well, you Well, you don't your point is you weren't. How do you, 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 how do you, you, you try? What you do yeah. is you go there, and I, I, was, I covered Guatemala and Nicaragua for the, it was called the Washington Office on Latin America. And what I did, I mean, we used to have people coming up and to from those countries, and I would take them to the State Department. But also I'd write things for the, for the people dealing with that in the Senate and the House of Representatives. I'd go and see the staff like that. I was on the phone. 
whenever Bragan made a speech, I'd get phoned from radios in California saying, what did you think about the speech of Reagan? And then I'd give them my analysis. Your, yes. Analysis yes, of what I Yes, it was I more about lobbying speech. and putting your, getting your voice out and, that's right. and, and that's giving when, your opinion. And that's, as I said before, when I had this wonderful experience that I went into the office of one of the House of Representatives um, one day, this woman, and she marched me down to, to her staff. And as we passed by, she stopped and she said, there's Rosa Parks. Amazing. <laughs> And I went up and I shook her hand. Did you? And when I mentioned that what to people... What did she say? Imagine. And when I Imagine. mentioned that to people, they say, oh, my gosh, you know, they think it's the most marvellous thing that could have happened. It is. OK, so we're back with Reggie. Uh, we've uh, talked about many things. We've gone to... We've, we've ended up where uh, he was working at the Washington office on Latin America and Rosa Parks, which was quite something. After that, Reggie, where did you, where did you go from there? You spent 10 years in Washington, did you? No, six years. Oh, six years in Washington? Six years in Washington, yeah. Okay. No, I came back to England. Yeah. And um, my ex-boss in Oxfam, Michael Harris, had become the chair of anti-slavery. Well, it was uh, at that time it was called the Anti-Slavery Society, which is the oldest international human rights association in the world, going back to, I think it's... Uh, uh, 1829, wow. 1829, something like that. This extraordinary organization that had done such an incredible amount of stuff of anti-slavery over the years, you know, over the years, was, um, was it had a, a, a council of very, very old people and the thing was slowly going down and we were, we were in danger of really disappearing completely. Michael Harris was brought in because he was a Quaker and had a lot of Quaker influence in this thing. Uh, <clears throat> And one of my heroes is the guy who really did most for anti-slavery called Thomas Clarkson. We're talking about 1783 to 1846. Uh, at any rate, he got there. And when, he, when I came back, he said, I want you to come on the committee. So I said, fine. You know, so I went on to, on to the committee there. And uh, at any rate, to cut a long story short, I took over as chairman from him. You know, so we had saved the thing, you know, like that. And then I sort of built on that. I built on that for I was um, I was altogether I was with them I think for 15 years and what but, was it what but was I was your... chair I was chairman for about eight or nine years what was your the one of the most important things you did there did you were you able to well the, the, the important did, one of the most important things I did there was to find to make sure that we had the right uh, um, chief executive of the organization yeah so then I knew, knew it was in strong hands. hands. In order and what, to what, what 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 was it what was it for what what, uh, what did you do with, what what we do is we go out to the countries and we find out what's happening yeah. and then we complain to the countries to do something about to it to the government of uh, the countries the government of the countries yes because they shouldn't be allowed allowed yeah. slavery yeah and what did you and, what did, and then the other thing that we, that we do is then help those organisations and help actual um, people working with slaves you know who are trying to to um, really improve, Get a better, that, improve, improve their, their lot yeah. or stop their slavery, you know. Yeah. Now, one, one of the things I remember is coming to a, one of these functions, <coughs> one of these anti-slavery functions, right. and uh, meeting Harold Pinter. Oh, yes. Oh, and his right. wife, Lady Antonia Fraser, yes. as, as, as a young girl going to London That's with mum. That's we launched a book. And you launched a book. 
I remember that. Yeah. And I and I was there, and uh, we were walking around. There was this gentleman there. My mother was very excited. Yes. And I didn't have a clue who Harold Pinter was. I was probably, yes. you know, um, a young teenager Harold. at the time. <laughs> and uh, then I realised he was this very, very famous man. Very famous man, yeah. yeah. So how did that you. come about? He decided to, to support you? Or... No, but we were raising money for Guatemala. Oh, I see. We were raising... So this... This wasn't anti-slavery then. And for and for and also publishing these books. We published three books. Three books. And uh, the idea was to spread what was going on in Guatemala in order to get support from the from the people and from the uh, the, um, the um, press. And he was he was interested in the cause. Well, yes, funnily enough, I'll, I'll tell you the story. When I came from from America, yeah. um, Central America, you know. Uh, and, uh, and from Washington, the, the whole question of Central America was very much, uh, you know, I knew about it and I'd been working on it. So one day I was um, asked, will you please brief these this body of people who are going to see the Tim Sainsbury, who is a minister in charge of Central America, you know. So um, I went and briefed them and Harold was one of them. And I, and I said, and because I knew what Harold was very sort of, strong on, on condemning the Americans. I said, go there and really talk about how things are today and all the rest of it. Don't mention the 1954 thing when the Americans did all the wrong thing and all the rest of it, because that's past history. Well, when he, she did, he did exactly the wrong thing. <laughs> but when okay. we came out, he then said to me, if there's anything I can do for Guatemala, please let me know. Yes. So then so I went to see this friend of mine, Cynthia, Cynthia, you know, and I said, look what Harold has said. She knew him, you know. She said, oh, we must do something about it. So, when, so you did. we then set up the the, Artists. the Association of Artists oh, for, for Guatemala, Guatemala, you know. And um, then I paid for a delegation to go to Guatemala and to produce the first book, which had this artist, wonderful artist, you know, who came with us, who then produced all these paintings and who's sold all these paintings, but they're all in the first book that we produced, which is a wonderful book, which is a wonderful book. We then produced two, two after that. And, uh, so, and, how, and so, how, then, so, so Harold was then... Um, and who, who else? What other famous... Were there other famous people who, who helped oh, you with that? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the, all the members, famous people. All, all of them? All the members were famous people, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, the, all the members were famous people. Juliet Stevenson, for example, you know, the actress. All famous people because this friend of mine, Cynthia, knew everyone. Gosh, so you had a good connection so with we had So we had a fantastic. Good. And, that was the, and that's when we launched the book, that particular book. So, so from, from artists, <clears throat> your group artists for Guatemala, what did you, what did you, and then Slavery International, both of anti-slavery international, you, you then decided to retire? Is yes, that, what happened uh, was I thought that because the anti-slavery thing before had gone, you know, had gone with too many old people, then all the rest of it, I thought at the age of 70, I'm going to leave it. And now I'm going to concentrate on what I think the real problem is, which, which is... Which was climate, climate change. change. So that's when you climate decided change. to really push Absolutely. your campaigning. So wh why were you arrested? What did you do? I was arrested. I was in the... Uh, it was in the staff entrance to the BEIS, which is the the business ministry of the government, you know. And I was, uh, I'd gone through the door and I was in a place where I shouldn't be. 
Were you you spray know, painting the wall? Or I, I then the painted, yes, I painted I these I signs mm. of the Extinction Rebellion on the walls. Yeah. You know. So the one thing I remember about all those interviews and you came out on the telly and you were here out on t television here is one thing you said. You said you wanted to leave a legacy so your grandchildren knew would know that their grandpa tried to change the world. Yes, because it's... And I've got that. That was written in an article, I think, in one of the oh, right, British yeah. papers, which I cut out, yeah. and I have that stuck on my on my pin board in the kitchen for my children to see as well. Right, right. Because I think it's a huge thing to say, because at the end of the day, you, you want to do something that your children are going to remember you um, for in a positive way. Well, it's not, it's not it's, yes, in a positive and, way, because... Things are going to get yeah. pretty awful. Okay, so tell me, so tell me about COP twenty six. What did you, so what did you get COP, from it? COP twenty six was yes. a failure yes. in the sense that what it was trying to do was to have a plan that would solve the problem of of reducing emissions in order not to allow the global temperature of the world to exceed one point five degrees Celsius more than the temperature in pre-industrial times, which is really the temperature in about 1750. Right. So they didn't succeed in doing that. But, but what they succeeded in doing was saying that we haven't succeeded in doing it, but we must keep it on the agenda. Yeah. So the next one must try to solve that problem. The next one's in, Ki we, in Cairo. Which was in Cairo, oh, in, the, in COP27 in Cairo, mm. probably November of December next year. So it's every year, is it? It's every, well... The point is, yes, it's, it's everywhere, it's one every year. But when the other important thing was that at the time that the Paris Agreement was made, they decided that the things that the government said they were going to try to do would be revised every five years. So what they decided in, in, seven, in, in, uh, in 2016, or whatever it was, 2016, you know, because it, what happened was it was a mother year, in 2016, you know, was 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 going to they were going to, going to give be given another chance to alter those at COP26. They haven't altered them enough. They okay. haven't altered them enough. But then it was going to be another five years, and COP26 said no, that's no good because then we've had it. You know, right. we must do that every year. Right. We must revise them every year yeah. and see what's happened in between. One of the things that came out from it was that uh, a lot of people were making decisions and saying they were going to change certain ways of doing things in their countries, but th people were worried about the policing of it and whether they were actually going to do it or well, not. Exactly, that's what it's all about, because that's, that is what, exactly what Greta Thunberg has been complaining about, because in, with the English ones, with, um, Boris comes on, Boris comes on and says, we're going to do this, you've got this plan and all the rest of it. Then, and she says, where's the action? Yeah. There's no action. Mm. We need the action. Mm. And we need the action on a worldwide basis for all these things. How can, you know. how can we help climate change here in Jib? I don't know. I'd like to read the report. Oh, yes. We'll, get me a copy yes, of the report. We'll get you a copy of the report. And then I would like to see things, to, to, to see and, and see what I think about it. Okay. I know that the... Also just, the report. A new report has just come out, so yes. we'll, we'll get you a copy. So, Reggie, we're going to finish. Um, two things I want to ask you. One thing would be, what is your what are your last words? Your your something that you live by. <clears throat> well, that's what I said. Follow Jesus, is uh, is really my thing, you know. And lastly, um, well, I asked you about a song, a song or something that you were going to yes. um, 
that would get, get you through? And you said you love singing, especially Italian songs. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the the I used to sing a lot of songs and all the rest of it. I suppose so. the most famous one is Osso Le Mio. You know, and I used to okay. love listening to that sung by Caruso. I've got records of it sung by Caruso. <laughs> Great. And one very last thing, which I'm going to ask everybody. Three words to describe me. Beautiful, intelligent and resilient. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. And um, yeah, hopefully our family will enjoy this chat very much. Good. Thank you, my lovely one. You've been listening to On the Sofa with Rouge, a series of talks where I talk to friends and family about all the interesting things they've been getting up to. A massive shout out to Charlie Hurst, my sound engineer, who's done an incredible job of putting this podcast together. His website is soundunit.co.uk, should you want to get in touch with him. And also a massive shout out to Beatrice Garcia, who's a very accomplished artist and who's beautifully designed the logo for this uh, icon for this podcast. And her website is Beatrice garcia.com thanks a lot for listening please get in touch rougejib at gmail.com if you want to let me know uh, what you thought of my podcast and uh, how i could improve and please 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 tune in because more podcasts are being dropped all the time <laughs>